You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. My Seven Chakras, episode 246. I think it's going to disappoint your audience a little, but it's the old Nike slogan, just do it. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will change your life, as it has for thousands of listeners. So if you are new to the show and to the chakras, then I want to give you a warm welcome. And before moving on, let's learn about our Facebook contributor of the month, Amina Afif, who gets a shout out because of her active involvement in our group, whether it's through comments, sharing quotes, encouraging other members and holding space for discussion. She writes, My name is Amima Afif, mom of two amazing boys who have influenced me on how to listen, talk and respect children and realize that each individual is different, beautiful and our needs and parts are different. I am originally from Seychelles but I have moved to Luxembourg after completing my master's in statistics and another in education in UK. Since 2005, I worked at the Ministry of Education in Luxembourg as a pedagogue, leading a team to support schools in collecting and using data to improve their school quality. Since small, I've always been interested in understanding children, making sure we listen to their voices and understand them, especially those who struggle emotionally and socially. My dream is one day to help create a meaningful space for all children to flourish. Since 2017, June, when I somehow discovered the My 7 Chakras podcast, my spiritual side was triggered. Six months later, I have listened to hours and hours of the episodes I am listening to and reading the books on Audible and Kindle, experiencing energy healing, and I can't stop. I am now learning every day with the Action Tribe community. I now really know I just have to ask the universe quiet in my mind. Listen, have faith, and I will receive. I am ever so grateful for my life, my path, and all the learning ahead. And I'm looking forward to awesome things coming my way. I really hope one day to be able to introduce the notion of spiritual energy and healing in the school curriculums around the world. Meanwhile, all you listeners, a big shout out to AJ, My 7 Chakras, and Action Tribe. Thanks a lot for being part of the journey. Action Tribe, if you are a listener of this show, then you will really be able to take your experience to a whole new level in our Facebook 
Facebook group called Action Tribe because our Action Tribe will help you finally take action. Our group will hold you accountable, provide you feedback and cheer you till the finish line. And we have a themed challenge for every day so that you can take small actions each day that will have a compound effect on your life. So if you want to join us, just go to my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. That's my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. So come join us and let's help you take some action and change your life. And with that being said, let's bring you our very special guest for today, Brad Warner. So Brad, are you ready to inspire? Uh, I'll try my best. Awesome. So Brad Warner is the author of It Came From Beyond Zen, Hardcore Zen and Sit Down and Shut Up and several others. He was ordained a Zen Buddhist priest by Kudo Nishijima. He grew up in the suburbs of Akron, Ohio and the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya. He has practiced Zen for over 30 years. He plays bass in the hardcore punk band Zero Defects. For 11 years, he worked in Japan for the company founded by creator of Godzilla. He appeared in the film Zombie Bounty Hunter MD and the documentary about him, Brad Warner's Hardcore Zen. So it's going to be super exciting today. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Brad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wonderful. So like we always do on our show, let's begin with some inspiration. My question to you is, what is your favorite inspirational quote these days and how do you apply it in your life? Yeah, I think I think it's not I think it's going to disappoint your audience a little, but it's the old Nike slogan, just do it. Because I find that when when I'm talking to people about doing a Zen practice, mm-hmm. that's the biggest hurdle. People just people will talk about it forever and then put the Buddha statues on their front lawn and the whole bit. But uh, but actually getting down and, and meditating is is uh, the, the last thing anybody wants to do. And and really the only way to do it is just to decide I'm going to do this thing and then and then actually do it. You know, it's so simple, but it you know people want a magic. Formula. Wonderful. So so profound. Action Tribe, it's short and direct. The message that you need right now, which is just do it. It's not about getting all these uh, things in your home, you know, feeling closer to the Buddhism that you want to aspire to. But if you really want to be a Buddhist or if you want to experience that change in your life, then it's just about sitting down and doing it, which is in this case, meditating. So thanks a lot for sharing that wonderful quote with us. And with that, let's begin. Uh, my question to you is what inspired you to write your new book? It came from Beyond Zen. Well, it's it's actually a continuation of my previous book, Don't Be a Jerk, and the inspiration for that was that I had a friend who bought a book called God is Disappointed in You, which uh, which was a, a a kind of a comedian who was very interested in religion. I forget his name. Wrote the book. He he paraphrased the entire Christian Bible in his own words, and he decided the message was uh, God is. Dis- disappointed in you. And I, I thought it was a funny idea. My friend said, you should try that with uh, Dogen's Shobo Genzo. And Shobo Genzo is like the masterwork by this 13th century Buddhist monk from Japan named Dogen. And it's been really an inspiration for my life for, for a long time. But I thought it was impossible. But I, I didn't have any better ideas. So I sat down and I tried to do it. And I came up with something. Because Dogen's book is incredibly difficult even in its original form, and when you're reading it in English, it's translated usually by Buddhist scholars mm. whose main interest is not really practice so much as just translation. So the, the 
translations are double difficult. Uh, and, and I thought, well, I can get rid of a lot of things. There's a lot of sort of cultural Japanese things that you could find contemporary equivalents to, uh, change the language so it just reads a little easier and not be so slavishly uh, wedded to trying to match the original language and put it out as something that, that you can just, you know, sit on the, the bus and, and read. Uh, and, and that was my idea. And, and, and it worked out for the, for the first volume, and there was a lot left over that sure. I also wanted to do. So I did a second book of, of the same thing. And you don't really need to read the first one to, to follow the second one. I think they can be read in any order. Got it. Uh, now, the book and the first chapter, in fact, are titled It Came From Beyond Zen. So what is it? in this context. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I find real interesting and I'm kind of surprised that Buddhist scholars in general that I've seen who tackle Dogen don't yeah. really pay attention to this. It, Dogen has an essay that's called Inmo and Inmo is a Chinese word that he picked up. He lived in China for for a few years and he it just means it it just means like something or uh, one teacher described it as like you know when you say it's raining outside or it's 10 o'clock you know it's that kind of it it doesn't mm -hmm. you know it's a very open-ended word but he uses this word to refer to something that really if you read for example the christian mystics or, or a lot of the uh, upanishad and, and different things they use the word god um in the same way but buddhism doesn't really have a concept of, of God as such. So, so Dogen uses this it, and, and uh, I think he makes a very rational case for the existence of God that doesn't depend on belief or, or anything. He, he, uh, he kind of says, look at, your, look at yourself, look at who, who you are, and you are an expression of something bigger and what is that bigger something you're an expression of and he just calls it it but he says it is beyond anything you can mm. imagine uh, it is beyond even it itself you know he <laughs> says all these weird zenny things you know got it got it thanks a lot for that clarification now uh, could you describe uh, to me the thought behind the cover page because the cover page of your book is really really fascinating and what i see is uh, something that is the buddha but behind behind the buddha is something like a monster like a yeah, yeah. multiple-eyed monster so just wanted to know the thought behind that <laughs> well it's based on a poster I, I i'm a big fan of bad science fiction movies and the <laughs> There was a movie came out in the 60s called The Green Slime, and sometimes it would show up on late-night television. That's where I first saw it. But it, it had this great poster of this tentacled monster grabbing this this uh, girl in a skin-type space suit. Right. So uh, I gave that to the artist, uh, this guy. I've never actually met him. He goes by the name Johnny Crap, and he lives in Montreal, and he's done like four book covers for me so far. Okay. I've never actually met him. <laughs> Anyway, he, he uh, I, I showed him that, you know, just send it by email, and and uh, he made uh, he made that cover. I, I, you know, it's I have this funny relationship with my publishers, New World Library, in that I feel like they're almost too nice to me when it comes to things <laughs> like this because I'm like I, I I want them to say no, no, we got to put a normal cover on this book. Right? They'll go, they'll go, oh, that's a great idea, green slime. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's good for a boot 
best work <laughs> nice 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 it always you know you need to think different right you can't uh, think the same way that has been done you know for hundreds and hundreds of years and it's also about yeah, they stand uh, out <laughs> Got it. Now, now, now. Uh, just wanted to learn more about Ehi Dogen. Yeah, yeah. Who was this person? Well, D- uh, Dogen was a guy. He he actually died quite young. He he was born in the year twelve hundred. Died in the year twelve fifty four. So it's always easy to figure out how old he was because he well, he dates. He puts a date on the end of every essay or almost okay. every essay that he writes. So you can go, oh wow, he was forty one when he wrote this or whatever. Um, and uh, he. He lost both of his parents very early. He was probably the illegitimate son of a, an aristocrat, a Japanese aristocrat. And in those days, Japanese people think American politics is contentious right now. It's nothing compared to Japanese politics. His father was probably assassinated for political reasons. Uh, we don't know why his mother died. Uh, probably, you know, some disease that was going around. And, and he... Uh, so by the age of seven, he'd lost both of his parents, and he ended up entering monastic Buddhist practice when he was either 11 or 12, which was not unprecedented at the time, but was still pretty young to go into monastic practice. And he never left it. He he found, he wanted to find some kind of truth in Buddhism, but he felt that the Buddhism he encountered in Japan in those times wasn't working for him. So he went to China, found a teacher there, uh, learned a new style of Buddhist practice, which is this kind of just sitting, where you sit, you do your meditation with absolutely no goal uh, in mind at all. You're not trying to do anything. You're just Mm -hmm. trying to sit uh, and, and experience clearly the moment of just sitting. And he brought that back to Japan, established a temple which found which uh, after he died his his uh, descendants his dharma descendants founded a lot of temples and it became a very popular religious movement in Japan however he wrote extensively about this stuff and and his writings were i wouldn't say forgotten i mean pe- people knew they were there but uh, they weren't read Hardly anyone outside of really serious scholars and a few monks read them for maybe five or six hundred years. And then in the 19th century, there was a little blip of uh, interest in it, but it really took off in the 20th century, around 1920 in Japan. Uh, there was a few books published about Dogen that made a, a splash. And then after World War II, when the West had a lot more contact with Japan, Dogen began to be discovered by westerners so uh, we're, we're we're living in this interesting time uh, for dogen scholars in that in that there's a lot coming out and and even though it's ancient it's 800 years old it's also new in the sense that this this whole body of really deep philosophical writings was was pretty much lost mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. So, so really, really amazing story, really inspiring story. Action Tribe. He was the illegitimate son of aristocrat. Both parents died at a young age, and at a young age, he entered monastic practice because he wanted to find some truth. He wanted to find the truth that was eluding him. That took him to China, where he learned a new form of Buddhism, and he brought that practice back to Japan. This and all of this at a young age, and he started becoming a prolific writer but the interesting part uh, i found brad uh, uh, is that 
not a lot of people read about him right especially yeah. in the beginning uh which is which is which is interesting because then at a later stage when the communication channels opened between Japan and the west uh, that's when people really got interested and that's where it's right now but how did you find about uh, or get to know about uh, the shobo genzo oh totally by accident i was a student at Kent State University in Kent, Ohio, where the shootings okay. happened in 1970, but this was much later than that. This is like 1982, I think. And and, and uh, I just signed up for this class called Zen Buddhism. As you read in my bio, I had lived in Kenya as a as a child for four years, and I became acquainted uh, my my one of my parents uh, one of my dad's best friends was an indian and i became kind of acquainted with sort of indian spirituality <clears throat> through him and got interested by the time i was in college i just wanted to find a class about that but i couldn't find a class about you know the bhagavad gita or anything like that but i did find this class called zen buddhism which i thought well you know this will do for now <laughs> um until i find a you know a class about what i really want to study sure and it just just I, I was just amazed uh, by the the Zen uh, outlook, which which I found to be incredibly realistic. I, I was playing in hardcore punk bands, or uh, well, one in particular, Zero Defects, which you mentioned, uh, and uh, and I'd gotten into punk rock because I, I I felt like the commercial sort of, of rock and roll entertainment establishment was very dead and wasn't saying anything and then i found these punk rock people who were really interested in kind of being real uh and and then when i found zen i thought well this is the same idea mm. taken much further you know like right. they question everything even question us you know zen zen is great about that they're even like you don't even have to take our word for it question you know question our our scriptures it's it's uh, encouraged nice nice so that's that's amazing uh, uh what what i find fascinating is that you have a fascination for not only uh, buddhism because of what it stands for but also for a type of music which is punk rock uh because of the you know uh, certain challenges that were associated with mainstream rock back in the day mm-hmm. and you wanted something different uh which which is which is amazing uh but but what got in what got you interested in the book per se now now you now you oh, heard about so, zen buddhism yeah uh so yeah so zen so shobo genzo specifically the teacher i had was this guy named tim mccarthy and he's still around i still see him occasionally yeah he he was a student of a guy named Coben Chino, who was part of uh, the, the Dogen's lineage, the, the lineage of the Dogen established okay. in the 1200s. And so, you know, after the class, the class was more about general Zen, you know, overall, but he was specifically interested in Dogen. So I kept in contact mm. with him and kept sitting with him and all of that. And through him, I heard about Shobo Genzo, but the, it really took off. I moved to Japan for for work basically i didn't move to japan to study buddhism although that ended up happening but i'd already been interested in zen buddhism before i moved there so i met a teacher over there named gudo nishijima and nishijima had been working on what was at the time the only full version of shobo genzo in print so he in english i mean so he was working on this translation that he started i i think probably in the 60s and you know, working on it, and by the '90s he was publishing uh, volumes of it, and 
and it became for, uh, I don't know, almost 10 years, it was the only version which contained the, all the chapters uh, in English. And it's been superseded since, or, or superseded maybe, I mean, added to, because I still sure. think his is the best version, but of course I'm biased. Uh, and so there are other complete versions out now. But uh, but seeing him working so hard on this English translation of Shobo Genzo, I remember it's a huge book. You know, it's four right. <laughs> four volumes of, uh, and each volume is is gigantic. But I decided, well, if he's going to do all that work translating this thing, and he's my teacher, the least I can do is read the thing. <laughs> you know, that's a lot <laughs> less work. So I decided, okay, I'm going to read this thing cover to cover, and I I ended up reading it three times and i'll tell you the first time i felt like i don't know what the hell this book is about yeah. you know? <laughs> it was just so uh, so weird but uh, but having him as a teacher to help explain it and then reading it a few times and then kind of getting into the the original japanese version a little bit uh, i i began to get acquainted with it and and so by the third time through it was no longer incomprehensible in fact i was going well this this is the most sensible book I've ever read. You know, a complete <laughs> right. change, though. You know, from from being completely impossible to understand to being, oh, this is this actually makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. got it, got it. Now, yeah. something that uh, I still am not able to, uh, you know, get past is the fact that the book was written about 800 years back, but for 700 years it was shrouded in mystery because no one really knew about it other than uh, a few monks at monasteries. Is that correct? Well, people knew it existed and Dogen was kind of revered as this founder figure, you know, the way, I don't know, Lutherans revere Martin Luther or something like that. So, yeah. so and, and maybe it's a good comparison. I never really thought about it, but, you know, how many people have actually read anything Martin Luther wrote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so he was revered, but... I, I asked my teacher this once, and he said he thought people just weren't ready for Dogen in when he okay. was writing because he, if you read him, you can go, oh, he's kind of talk, talking about psychology and he's talking about the human unconscious and all this other stuff. When we read it now, we can recognize this, but those concepts didn't exist in his time. Got it. You know, so so uh, you know, and he's using these metaphors to try to get at these ideas, but you. You know, it's fairly easy to kind of strip away and go, oh, that's what he means, you know, right. uh, for us now. But I think, you know, uh, 200 or 300, 400 years ago, during the time when people weren't reading it, I think people would have just looked at it and gone, well, what the, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you know? Got it, got it. So, so does this mean that you can also read Japanese? I can, or- yeah. I worked for the company that was founded by the guy who invented Godzilla and I one of my main jobs there was translating our publicity materials from Japanese so uh, so that's where where I got my you know sort of cut my teeth learning Japanese and I lived in Japan for 11 years and worked for a company where I was one of three non-Japanese people in the whole company so I had to speak Japanese and I had to read Japanese just to get you know just to survive wonderful wonderful so how was it like living in Japan oh I loved it it was uh I, I, uh, I'd always had a fascination with Japan because I watched a lot of Japanese, you know, <laughs> science fiction movies and, and, right. and was really a big, big fan of that genre. And so I, I kind of had an idea what to expect, but it was really, it was really quite different from what I expected. And I, I liked the culture there and everything. It, I, 
I lived in a normal Japanese house in a in a. A lot of people when foreigners move to Japan, they often live in these little enclaves of of people who speak their own language and and whatever. But I yeah. I decided I I didn't want to do that. I I uh, I kind of really went native. As they say, you know, I really uh, got into it. And I worked, the company I worked for is, it, it's sort of like the Disney of Japan. You know, they're, they, they, uh, they're, they make these really popular television shows and things. So okay. people, so it's, it's super Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. and it was yeah. great. I just, I had a good time. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, many of our listeners uh, listening to the show right now, many of them are aware of uh, Buddhism. Uh, but could you t- talk to us a bit more about Zen Buddhism? Like, how is Zen Buddhism different from the other forms of Buddhism, maybe that are out there? And yeah, you alluded been, to this I've a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to actually write a book specifically about that for my next for my next book, and and getting into what what does make Zen special the the short version is as a historical movement it it sort of it started around a thousand years after the buddha died okay and by that time the the buddha basically i mean you probably don't know about this i don't know how many your listeners know but he, he basically went around india teaching people to meditate that's the short version of his story mm-hmm. but after he died the movement sort of became much more of a religion and with all the mm-hmm. trappings of a religion with belief systems and, you know, sort of the equivalent of churches and, and clergy and all that. So uh, <clears throat> there was a movement in northern India about a thousand years after he died to strip away all of that and and just get back to the meditation. And some of these people made their way into China, some of these Indian uh, Buddhist teachers, and the Chinese really picked up on what they were saying and so it, it that movement kind of died out in india but flourished in china and then moved to japan and korea and uh, even uh, somewhat in thailand uh, and and it's it's just a movement that that tries to say well buddha was all about meditation so we should meditate as our main practice that's that's the shortest answer i can give you to what makes about just about every form of buddhism has some meditation practice but in a lot of them it's a kind of it's something only monks do or it's right it's, you know it's a kind of a special thing but in the zen form everybody is supposed to meditate not not that they do but <laughs> but that's the idea <laughs> got it got it. it all comes back to your quote for today which is uh, just do it action tribe if uh, meditation is something that you want to do and there's no better time than today to start meditating because in that process you will feel much better and you will get much better as well now uh, brad uh, chapter seven in your book is called garbage in garbage out deep belief in cause and effect so what do you want to communicate through that chapter well that's that's one of my favorite chapters that dogan writes he he does these two analyses of an old buddhist story about a a monk who dies and has to be reborn as a wild fox because he supposedly said something deceptive. It's all metaphorical. You know, foxes are kind of a, an image of, of deceptive creatures, right? So, right. Um, so it's that story. But he, the, the point of the story that Dogen pulls out of it is this idea of deep belief in cause and effect. So everything is, everything that we experienced is, is, uh, ex- 
exists within the realm of cause and effect. So even if something appears to be miraculous, it's also there's also a cause and effect relationship there. So we shouldn't... He, he's very anti-superstition, and he's yeah. very against believing in anything that you can't test for yourself. So he's very rational in that way. And there's very little cosmology or anything in any of his writings. He's just kind of real straight with his readers. And so he says we need to have this deep belief in cause and effect and never never imagine that something kind of violates that. So, you know, miracles or magic are are impossible. I mean, things things might happen which, for which there is no ready explanation. He doesn't rule that out. But he does say that if you look, you're going to find an explanation and the explanation isn't you know, magic or, or something that goes beyond uh, cause and effect. There's there's something going on there that can be rationally understood. And that's, the, again, the kind of foundation of our <clears throat> contemporary society is all based on that. Right. So I think uh, Dogen seems very contemporary in that way, even though he was talking a long time ago. Oh, totally. I think this uh, concept is really powerful. And in fact, I do uh, follow a certain type of Buddhism, uh, which is Nichiren Buddhism, oh, okay. which also believes in cause and effect. And, uh, you know, they speak about uh, certain things like uh, conspicuous and inconspicuous uh, uh, benefits. Sometimes you, you, you create an, a cause today and you see the effect right away. You see it within a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, or maybe at the end of the day. And sometimes mm-hmm. you, 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 you do a cause, but you don't see the effect until maybe a couple of months or maybe even years. And and so they draw a relationship between your doing something and the Chinese bamboo tree. You know, uh, you put the seed, but you don't see any results. You don't see any results. But all of a sudden, after a couple of, I think it's years, the bamboo tree shoots up a couple of feet in the air out of nowhere. And that's not because that's a, mir- a miracle. It's because you had the intention to lay a seed a couple of years back, and that's yeah. manifesting. Yeah, Dogen has a chapter uh, uh, quite similar to that. And, and Nietzsche and Dogen were uh, contemporaries, although I've read up a little bit about this, and there's some legends of them meeting, but most, most, scholars, oh, really? believe, yeah, most scholars believe those are just made-up stories. But uh, yeah. they were operating around western japan around the same time so exactly it's not i thought about that (laughs) yeah but he yeah but dogen has a real similar chapter about uh about how cause and effect will sometimes bear fruit many many uh, a long time after but you you can always count on any cause you put into the the universe having some sort of repercussions that you will uh be part of (laughs) Mm mm-hmm so you can't you can't get away with anything, you know. You can't get away. So 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 Dogen wrote a lot about human nature, right? You've mentioned that also earlier in our conversation. So what is one, you know, or maybe the most powerful truth about human nature that is written about in the book? Boy, well, you know, it, it's um, one of the things I I use the title for my previous book, "Don't Be a Jerk," is he says that the main teaching of Buddhism is don't don't do wrong, and I change that to don't be a jerk. And I think that's that's a real powerful thing, how how you you can, in any situation, there are you know, probably numerous ways to respond, but you try to pick the, the one that is, is the right one and be with it. 
something I had trouble believing when my teacher first kind of introduced the concept. Like, I don't intuitively know what's right to do. But, yeah. but he says that human nature has that has that quality of intuition, no matter who you are and what your circumstances, and that you can choose to follow it or you can choose to ignore it. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and if you ignore your intuition to do the proper thing, you're gonna get you're gonna get in trouble, and and so it becomes so so doing right isn't like an imperative like you're gonna be punished by God or something for not doing the right thing. It's more like it's the most sensible thing to do is to do the right thing is to do the the kind thing. Even though you know I always have to add that the kind thing can include things that superficially might not look <laughs> to be kind. But, you, know, you, you have to do the right thing more than the thing that, that appears to be nicest. You know, you don't have to be nice all the time, but sure. uh, but you do have to do what's what's proper. Right, and, and in so many cases, you know, you know, we we are in front of a situation when you have we have to take a decision, and sometimes we don't listen to our gut feeling, or we don't listen to the intuition or the message that was coming through to us, and then a few days later we say to ourselves, I should have listened to myself, you know, I should have listened to that gut feeling. It was telling me to do this or to not do this, but I just did the other thing anyway. And so, you know, it's almost like an like like a like a muscle, you know, intuition is like the more you use it and you more you listen to yourself, the better you get at making such decisions yeah. which sometimes might not be very logical, but then it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's it really helps to just to just trust it, but it's it's sometimes hard to do because sometimes you'll get an intuition to do something and go, "Ooh, yeah. really?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Got it, got it. Now, uh, Dogen also explores the idea that the mind and matter are not different things, correct? Yeah, so, yeah. could you talk to us a bit more about this? Because I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, that's a hard one, but he does he does believe that there's a there's a the main sutra in the Zen form of Buddhism, and it's used in a lot of forms of Buddhism. is is the Heart Sutra, but the Zen people love the Heart Sutra, and it has. The line in there: "Form is emptiness; emptiness is form." And my teacher, when he—that's the standard English translation. My teacher liked to translate that: "Matter is the immaterial, and the immaterial is matter." So, so that you know, we all have two sides to any experience. There's a sort of bodily side of of you know what you know the things in your body and what you're you're experiencing, and then there's this other side that's that's much more nebulous that's that's the experiential side and i think it goes even beyond like thinking and perceiving and feeling it's more like who who is behind all that thinking and perceiving and feeling well we don't know right. you know that's that's <laughs> yeah. a fascinating thing that you encounter in meditation is you just like uh, you think you know well i'm experiencing this but after a while you go i'm not sure who's experiencing this you know <laughs> yes somebody yes. sure is though you know you can be certain that 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 experience is going on and he's saying that these are just two sides of the same phenomena and then we've divided them up uh in our minds because that helps us navigate the world but the true picture if we could stand apart from it which we can't is uh, it, is that there is there is a way of looking at things in which matter and mind are included as a single unit, which which doesn't mean you know you can twitch your nose like Samantha on the old Bewitched TV show and and change things, but it it it, it makes if you start to look at 
at it that way, you start to see your environment differently. You know, you start to realize, oh, this, I was just reading something, this was a scientist who was talking about how the, the color as yeah. a phenomenon doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, it, mm. you can't, when, when you scientifically examine the phenomenon of color, you can't really, you, you can find different wavelengths of light, but color as such isn't, isn't real. It's, it's something our brains do in order to organize the world so that we can you know, so we can go through, you know, a, a path and, 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 you know, not step on something. I don't know. I don't know where, right. you know what I mean? It's just, it's something, that, it's a trick the brain plays. And yet, yet here I am, you know, sitting at my, at my little kitchen table, looking at all these colorful things in my room. And, uh, and I don't see it as an illusion. I, I, I mm. see it as real. And, and if you extrapolate from that, the entire universe is like that. You know, we, Sure. We have a model of, of the universe in our heads, and it works, and we can, you know, we can, we can get pretty detailed with it and, and find that it's consistent. That doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff out there exactly corresponds to it, though. You know, that's, yeah. that's a fascinating area of, uh, of study that I think is going to become come really important in the future for for us oh totally and i also heard that you know our ability to perceive color as humanity is evolving over time and they did some research about uh, a certain tribe uh, that wasn't able to notice all these uh, you know different colors that we're able to see today and also they did some research about thousands of years back some greek texts and what they found out was uh, there was this point person who pointed out to the agency and said it's crimson color and what they thought was maybe humans could not perceive blue uh, back in the day and they they saw blue as red or huh? crimson and so wow. they, they were oh. like is, is the human mind evolving are we able to maybe in the next thousand years we'll be able to see much more color than we are able to see right now or maybe our our mind is evolving i don't know that, that's really but that's, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting because one of the things i noticed about zen practice is that is that it seemed to improve my perception of color which you couldn't you know right. how could you predict that but but I, I swear this is true. Uh, I mean, I have no way to really compare, but everything seems to be almost neon bright. And it, it made me understand why Zen temples are usually such muted colors, They're usually brown and black mm. and really yeah. dull colors. And when you first go into one, you're like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> you know, <it's> not, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, it's very pretty in the sense that it's all laid out nicely, but the colors are extremely muted. And I thought, yeah. well, maybe it's because these people who are meditating so intensely, it's too much for them to be in a place with, with a lot of colors. Because, sure. uh, you know, it, it, after, after this first started happening to me, I'm living in Tokyo, and I would go to Shinjuku, the big business, the one they always show in the movies, you know, where, where all the neon and stuff is. And I'd, right, just, right. I'd just go, oh, my God, I can't stand this, you know. <laughs> it took me a while to finally get back to where I could go to a place like Shinjuku and just, which is like Times Square or, or, or um, what's the place in London that's like that? You know, it's like one of those places with a lot of neon and colors. And it took me a while before I could do it comfortably again, but I finally figured out a way to deal with it. Wow, that's that's that interesting as you look back uh, at the experiences that you had. Uh, of course, uh, the, sol- uh, the solution, I mean, the best value that people will get, uh, you know, to learn about uh, 
Zen Buddhism and all the different stories that we we're talking about is by getting your book. It came from beyond Zen. <laughs> but Brad, if you had to select three big ideas from this book for our listeners, or maybe two or three, uh, uh, what would they be? You know, we could go one by one if you'd like. Oh, God. I don't have the book in front of me. You know, I, I I don't know if other writers do this, but I tend to forget my books as soon as I write them. <laughs> so when people interview me like six months later or, or a year, yeah. year later, I go, oh, what was in that book? But I, <laughs> I, I think, you know, the title idea, I think, is very interesting that we talked about earlier, this idea of it. And, and I, I think a lot of people go into Buddhism. I, I meet a lot of people who are former Jews or former Catholics, you know, who yeah. get into... Buddhism, and they get into it because they've been indoctrinated with this idea of God, and then it becomes like, oh, we want to find a thing that there's no God involved. And and, and I, I understand that. I didn't grow up like that. I grew up in a family that was just not religious. We just didn't have a religion, basically. Uh, and, and and so I was always fascinated by this idea. So so I think it's it's useful to acknowledge that the universe we're living in isn't this sort of dead, cold, materialistic place. It, yeah. You know, that's that's one way of looking at it, and it works in certain applications. But if you really examine yourself and your surroundings a little closer, you realize, oh, that isn't the whole picture. You know, that's p- part of the picture, but it isn't the whole picture. And, and understanding that is, is really useful. Uh, you know, and, uh, the, another thing that, that's in the book is uh, I translated this thing called Instructions for the Cook, which is one of Dogen's lost writings. It, it really didn't even turn up. Uh, you've, it, even the people who were scholars of Dogen in the first few hundred years of his existence didn't know about this piece of writing. And it was really just some instructions he wrote for temple cooks. But it's a beautiful piece of writing because it, it takes, because the job of the temple cook back in the, you know, when Dogen first got back from China was sort of a job you gave to some flunky, you know, who wasn't, who couldn't do anything else, and you gave him the job of cook. And Dogen thought, no, this is really important. You know, eating and food is a fundamental thing to life, you know, and we really need to take care of this. And so he made this thing that elevates cooking into this very, uh, a spiritual practice. And, And you can extract Extrapolate from that and go, oh, anything I do can be a spiritual practice if I get totally involved in it. And, and I think that's a real, a real important uh, point. I guess that's only two, but <laughs> those are the ones I really like uh, that, I, that I thought I was really trying to go for throughout the book. Awesome. Uh, so, Brad, what is that one action step you'd recommend for someone listening to this show right now? Uh, in order to do next, you know, after listening to this episode, maybe later in the day, what is that one action step that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Well, I, I titled my second book, Sit Down and Shut Up, because I thought that's Zen, Zen practice. Zen practice in a nutshell is, is sitting down and shutting up. So so that would be my my step, you know, I'd recommend is it, it really, it takes five minutes to learn how to do at least the type of meditation that I practice, it's really, really easy. And there's, you know, I've got a few tutorials on my blog and there's, there's a, you know, you can find them so easy how to do Zazen. Uh, and, and just do it, you know, just like I said in the beginning, just just uh, just take that step and, and do the practice. You don't have to 
you know, make a major commitment, you know, or a lifestyle change, just just uh, meditate, even if it's only for five minutes. I think it's a it's a great start. So Action Tribe, to read the entire show notes for today's episode, including the inspirational quote, the book recommendation, and the action step, uh, then visit my7chakras.com forward slash 246. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 246. Opportunities to find deeper powers within ourselves come when life seems most challenging. This is a quote by Joseph Campbell, Action Tribe. This is a super powerful quote. Everyone of us is going through challenges of one type or another, which come into our life without warning and out of nowhere. Like, for example, a few weeks back, in fact, just last week, sorry, I was diagnosed with uh, tonsillitis out of nowhere, along with fever, loss of appetite and a painful throat. Was crazy, and in such a situation, you have two options: either you can get angry at the universe for putting you in such a situation, and you go through negative emotions, or you just take out your journal and try to find out the deeper meaning behind all of this. Try to find out the opportunity within all of this, and you can even ask yourself, why is this the best experience in your life at this stage? So try that out in your life as well. Now, Brad, talk to us about a challenge that you had to go through, that you had to face in your life. What was that one big challenge and how did you overcome it or how did you tackle it? Well, uh, yeah, I wrote a book about it called Zen Wrapped in Karma Dipped in Chocolate, which comes from a <laughs> it comes from a commercial that was for yogurt. They said this yogurt is like Zen wrapped in karma dipped in chocolate. And I thought, oh, that's the way people think of Zen. But uh, it, it Ten years ago now, I had a, the year 2007, I lost my job, lost my mother, my mother died, my grandmother died, and I was there for it, and I got divorced, you know, all in, all in the space of not even the whole year, just a, the central part of that year, and it was really, really difficult, and I, I faced it by continuing my practice, I, I really... Uh, I I didn't stop meditating, even though the meditation was was kind of awful, you know, for the whole year. I just, you know, it's hard to just sit down and quiet your mind if you if you're just uh, if if all this stuff is happening. But I found it was the best thing uh, to do because because it was sort of like a process of burning through all of that. It it, it you know when you're sitting facing this stuff and just trying to be quiet with it and just absorb it all, it's sort of, you, you would think that would make it worse, but it, it doesn't. It makes it very intense, but it, it, it helps you get through it in a, a neater way, in a faster way even. So that, that, was, uh, that was my biggest life challenge in recent times. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that with us, Brad. Uh, maybe in just one sentence, what is that one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Boy, that's that's a tough one to come up with. Uh, one sentence. Yeah, I. You know, my teacher said do zazen every day, even if it's for five lousy minutes, and I I, I think that was a great. Uh, thing. This is my first teacher, and and just the fact of having this, this this practice and having a commitment to it doesn't really mean that you know don't don't look at it as this big thing you're going to do your whole life. Just think, think about it like today. Today I'm doing it for five minutes. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You know, you just do it 
today. And, and I think that was the, the, you know, the single thing that I've taken away that I think of, you know, almost daily, you know, still. Got it. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story, uh, Brad, with us. Like you mentioned, 10 years back, you had to go through a major life challenge. You lost your job, uh, your, your grandmother, your mom, and you also got divorced at that point, which I'm sure is not an easy situation to go through. And many of our listeners at this point are going through challenges of different sorts, maybe financial, health, relationship challenge, whatever it might be. You realize that the solution for you was to get back to the basics and go deep into meditation without avoiding the uh, experiences or the challenges that you that were coming your way. Uh, although I'm sure it was really, really hard, you faced your challenges and you just, like you mentioned, burnt through it all. Uh, this, I think, is 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 really inspiring because sometimes when we are faced with a challenge, the first thing to do is to avoid them. But in your case, you did not avoid them, but you faced them head on. And And like you mentioned, meditation does not have to be a lifelong commitment tell your mind that you're just going to do it for the next five minutes or the next seven minutes or the next 10 minutes and before you know it it will become a practice so thanks a lot for sharing brian yeah thank you yeah so action tribe i hope you've enjoyed this episode so far it was so wonderful to find out that wisdom never grows old technology may change rulers may change kingdoms democracies all of that might change but a profound thought or idea from an ancient text will always be of help to, to you. Like we're learning today, everyone listening to the show wants to improve their life. But sometimes when we expect to see progress and don't see it, it might seem frustrating. When we notice that people around us or those that we know are experiencing progress and prosperity of all sorts, maybe financial, health and relationships, it's easy to start asking the questions to the universe and lose all the progress that you've made in the first place. In such a scenario, remember that it came from beyond Zen. <laughs> remember the words of Krishna who said this thousands of years ago, it is better to strive in one's own dharma than to succeed in the dharma of another. Wow. Nothing is ever lost in following one's own dharma, but competition in another dharma breeds fear and insecurity. So I think this is a profound quote, Action Tribe. Remember, strive to succeed in your own dharma and let go of all the fears, the worries and insecurities that may be holding you back. And very soon, you will have reached your goal. And with that, we've arrived at the last round for today, the Wisdom Round. So, Brad, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'll try my best. <laughs> Great. So, uh, what is the best advice that someone has ever given you? I guess I just said it. Uh, just practice uh, zazen every day. And I, when I heard it, I thought, that's stupid. But I just did it. And that's yeah, that's been the best mm-hmm. advice. Meditate. <laughs> and name one personal habit that keeps you going each and every day. Oh, God, it's the same answer. Zazen. You know, I, I, I do it every day. Uh, and it really has improved my life in ways that are hard to express. Mm-hmm. So do you have a morning routine these days? What do you do during the first one hour in the morning? Oh, God, this is going to sound so repetitive. But the first thing I do when I, I you know, I get out of bed, I, I take care of whatever bodily needs that need taken care of. And and then I just start meditating. That's that's the always the first thing I do every day. I've got a cushion kind of uh, in my bedroom. And and I sit and I I 
I usually do thirty uh, minutes or so, and then and then I then I uh, have some breakfast and start writing another book. <laughs> Great, great. I've heard that. And in fact, I've found that writing itself can be very meditative, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I find I can hardly do it after about three in the afternoon, just sort of ah. just sort of falls apart for me. And then I, I have to give sure. up. <laughs> got it, got it. So name one book that you'd like to recommend for our community. Well, I, I always want to, you know, advertise my own books, but I think that's probably not not so good here. But, you know, there's a few of them. Uh, I really like a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shunryu Suzuki. It was the first book about Zen I ever read. And it's it's really good because it's very straightforward and not it, it's not very scholarly at all. It's It was, uh, I was going to say written by, but it's kind of a collection of talks by the guy who founded the San Francisco Zen Center. And he's talking to, you know, Western people, you know, common sort of, San Francisco people, so it's, he's kind of translating all this deep ancient Japanese and Chinese and Indian stuff to uh, to to that sort of audience, and it really works well. Uh, nice book, still in print after God forty years or something. Thanks for sharing, Action Tribe. I know that many of you love to listen to the book recommendations that are shared on the show. And that's why there's an opportunity for you to listen to a book recommendation for free. How's that? Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can check out this service. Now, in case you don't know, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your device, including bestsellers like The Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. To start listening to your book uh, go to my 7 forward slash free book once again that's my 7 forward slash free book to start listening to your audiobook just like you listen to this podcast yeah I, I actually so I have all, uh, most of my books are available <laughs> through audible and I read them myself so you know. so there you go uh, is today's book also available it came from beyond Zen on audible uh, yeah yeah uh, that's um should be. We were having some trouble uploading it, but I just got a message from Audible saying it was accepted, so that means it should, I don't know if it's out today, but it should within the next couple of days appear in their website. And I read it sitting at the same table that I'm talking to you from. I, I did it at home. Oh, no worries at all. That means by the time this episode gets released, because we're not doing it live, uh, it will be in Audible and oh, yeah. people can get it. So there you go, Action Tribe. This is your chance to claim your free book. It came from Beyond Zen on Audible. The link you need is my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Just sign up and get your book. So before you go, Brad, tell us something that you're grateful for today and tell us how we can find you online. What am I grateful for today? I'm grateful to be alive. You know, my, my teacher, when I, when I first met the teacher who ordained me, Gudo Nishijima, he was already really old, and he used to say, every day that I wake up and I'm still alive is a great day. Yeah. And I think at any age, you can kind of apply that. I was in, you know, I was in my early 30s when I first met him, and I thought, oh, that's really good. I can, I can start <laughs> looking at it that way. So I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be able to talk to you and to, to your listeners. It's, it's really nice. And online, uh, hardcorezen.info. So hardcorezen was the title of my first book and uh, we couldn't get dot com so we got dot info so hardcore zen dot info right dot com is too old dot info yeah. is much better <laughs> yeah i think so and somebody 
somebody, you know, it's one of those cyber squatter things. Somebody bought HardcoreZen.com expecting oh. me to pay thousands of dollars for it, but I'm like, I, I don't have it. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you want to learn more about uh, Zen Buddhism, you want to learn more about the books that Brad has written about, or you want to just uh, learn more about life in Japan, because I see there are some pictures as well about his life, in Japan, then go to hardcorezen.info because you won't be dissatisfied. You'll you'll enjoy the website. Uh, so, Brad, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about it came from beyond Zen and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You are listening to my seven chakras. Go to my s e v e n chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.